is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. This morning, the scripture that we're going to be looking at uh, is uh, the follow-on uh, from what we've been covering in Acts. So uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, a tablet, a, um, a mobile phone or whatever, uh, then that would be great uh, for you to pull up Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 32 right the way through to the end. Uh, this, is, this is Peter. He's uh, on his uh, second missionary journey. Uh, for those of you who, who, who want to get into it, uh, his first one was in Samaria, chapter 8. And here he is. He's going on his second one. They reckon it's around about 35 AD. So it's, uh, it's a, a few years after Jesus' death. And uh, here we have uh, Peter going on a journey. Uh, and, uh, uh, and we start off in verse 32. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Leah. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years and was paralysed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus, the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, here's a miracle of healing. What a wonderful thing. And some of you will have known people who have been prayed for and have seen healing. And there will be some of us, probably all of us, who have known people who have been prayed for and they haven't been healed. But here we read that uh, Peter sees this wonderful healing. And we're going to go on to Dorcas being raised to life, but um, uh, that's, a, that's a separate challenge, really. So when we're having a look at healing, here's Peter, and uh, he finds, it says he finds Aeneas. When's the last time you went to find someone who was sick so you could pray with them because you had enough faith to believe, actually, I'm going to pray for this person and they're going to be healed? Now, one or two who go on the streets, you know, is there anything I can be healing, you know, I, I can be praying for you, uh, etc. It's still happening today. Uh, and let's read the rest of the scripture and uh, we'll, we'll work through uh, some of the guidelines that I think God wants to speak to us this morning. So uh, verse 36, at Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. And since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And he turned to the body and he said, Tabitha, Arise. 
and she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed on the Lord. It finishes off, so it was that he stayed for many days in Joppa with Simon and Hannah. Now, one of my questions is, okay, so Peter did this. Peter was instrumental in this. How did he do it? How did he do it? Over the last sort of month, while I've been, it's been a really wonderful to have a month to actually look into this and pray into this and so forth. And uh, for, for some of you, I, I was driving down the motorway, and I do, I do uh, a motorway drive every day, an hour each way, etc. So I have plenty of time to pray, uh, listen to some worship songs, feel the presence of God. And I was a little bit concerned about this second piece of scripture about raising the dead. And uh, I was a little bit concerned uh, because, uh, I don't know about you, but um, the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. So obviously a faith of the size of a mustard seed can actually raise the dead. And I was a little bit concerned about the size of my faith. And, uh, and I thought, goodness me, Lord, uh, you know, I, I, I've heard of it. I, I've got one or two stories that, uh, uh, of people doing it, even in fairly modern days, seeing the dead raised. Why? Because the power of God defeated death at the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power of death is defeated. I know it. You know it. Yeah, right. (laughs) Okay, see, you're with me there. So I was driving down the motorway and uh, I really felt God laughing at me. I was driving down and I just felt something in my spirit saying, yeah, yeah, that's really funny, Paul, etc. Lots of people are going to bring dead people to church that Sunday. No, 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 no. So, so uh, and uh, then, of course, I started to laugh, thinking that was really funny, you know. Why was I worried about that? Interestingly enough, when the word was coming out this morning about fear and so forth, and I thought, I know why I was laughing about that, fear. I wonder what sort of things fear stops us doing in the Lord, because fear will stop us. Fear is the anti-faith. Not anti-Christ, anti-faith. Oh, maybe the anti-Christ does stoke that fire. Maybe there is something spiritual about fear. Maybe there is something personal about fear. Definitely that sort of thing. So I asked myself the question, and when I was looking at the scriptures and so forth, one of, a couple of key points for me was, you know, how did Peter do it then? How did Peter do it? How, how did that happen that the apostles could do this thing? How could it be that actually so many believers in those days laid hands on the sick or even just walked past them? Here's, here's my shadow. And we're talking about Peter would walk along the streets and people would put the sick out so his shadow would cast them, so that they would be healed. How can it be that here we are, God has, has God changed at all in the 2,000 years? Just check him. Is he the same today, yesterday and tomorrow? So if he is, then what's happening? How in China and places around the world do they pray for us? Because they're amazed that our faith because we don't see those miracles that they're seeing. 
in such abundance. We still see miracles. We still see fantastic things. But if you're anything like me, I read this scripture and I think, Lord, I would love to see more people saved and more people healed through this. Because at the end of the day, these are just signs and wonders that point to a saviour. The signs and wonders are wonderful to see people healed. It's wonderful, probably, to see people raised from the dead. I haven't experienced that yet, but I think, wow, awesome. But the reality is they're signposts pointing to Christ and the glory of God. So uh, one of the key things for me was, Peter, come on, Peter, let's read a little bit more about you. And of course, as soon as you start reading about Peter, you end up reading about Christ. So uh, I have a few points. It's uh, always quite good principle to have a good key points and a journey to go on rather than rambling. So um, I, I asked, uh, I, I asked uh, the Lord how he wanted to structure this, and uh, I finally nailed it yesterday. There was someone preaching the other day, and he said, this is the fresh word of God because it came yesterday. Uh, I had quite a lot of, uh, of information. I had loads and loads of pages. You'd have been here till tomorrow. But um, here we are. These, this is the, uh, one of the key things for Peter is he believed who Jesus was. It took him a while, you know. He, he spent a good few years going around the country with, uh, with, with Jesus, seeing the miracles, seeing the signs, seeing those sorts of things. He knew who Jesus was. But if you're here this morning, so uh, just a couple of uh, scriptures that we'll bounce around um, uh, in our time together. Um, unpicking the word of God. And um, here's a description of Jesus. It comes from Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And punishment, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. So there's Isaiah 53 predicting and uh, prophesying that Christ would come and he would take all of our suffering on the cross. So uh, just to back that up in the, in the New Testament, it's great to actually have the link and see the flow. But th th there are 20, 30 different scriptures you could get that actually follow this flow through to prove to us who Christ is and what he did. In 1 Peter 2 verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sin in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So one of the things for Peter was he knew who Christ was. He knew what he'd come for. He knew what he had achieved. And do we believe for that today? See, I, definitely, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you believe in that today. You know there's a security in that today. That Christ has won you for himself and he has done all of these things. Does anything else, is anything necessary to happen for you to be safe from sin? Anything? If it is, you know, it's, it's good to get it out there. But is anything else needed to happen? Did he pay the price for all sickness? Did he 
pay the price for all diseases? Did he conquer death? Because that's what this is saying to us. And Peter believed it to a point when he prayed for the sick, he was doing the things that Jesus did. Jesus went around the whole country and wherever he went, he healed the sick. What a wonderful faith it is. So he knew who Jesus was and um, my, my point too was he believed that he was who Jesus said he was. So do you know who Jesus says you are this morning? And do you live in that identity? There's some fantastic, fantastic courses, etc., about freedom in Christ and so forth. And uh, uh, here's a little piece of Ephesians that I haven't been able to go away from for a week. So uh, bear with me, it's something I'm enjoying. So you might enjoy it too, okay? It comes from Ephesians um, chapter 1. Uh, Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For those he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. He predestined us for adoption and sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his good pleasure. The reason I love it is because actually he's saying, and the other thing that he's saying is, Christ's in me. What a wonderful thing. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And every spiritual blessing has been given to you. You have today every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. Every. Did he he hold anything back in that? So you have every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. And Peter believed that. (laughs) Now when you believe something and you have faith for something, there's a need for a few things to happen. Because when you're given that identity and given all authority, here we are, Jesus is just going to give you all authority. There we are. From heaven, all authority is now yours to use. What would you do with it? What would you do with it? There was a couple of films, Evan Almighty and a few other things uh, out there. And uh, in, in the movie, uh, God gives an individual, there you go, you can have all the power. And the first thing they do is they spend the power on themselves. For all sorts of things. Good and bad. And yet Christ is here and here's his living word for us that actually he's giving you all authority in the heavenly places to use here on earth, in your life, in your situations, for people, for other people's good, in love. So here's Peter, he believes who Jesus is, and he believes, therefore, when Jesus says, I give you all authority and I bless you with every spiritual blessing, that actually that's real. That's what he does. He believes it's real. So when you're given authority, it's a little bit like governments today. Governments can have authority, can't they? But do they have any power to really change anything? 
You can be a teacher in a classroom, you can be uh, a head of business, you can be the head of your house, you can be anybody. And uh, God can say he gives you authority. But if you have no power, if you have no power to go along with that authority, it's absolutely useless. <coughs> some of you here, I feel God prompting me right now, some of you here feel powerless. You're in situations that you feel powerless over. Now, this could be emotional, it could be thinking, it could be physical, it could be work, it could be all sorts of things. So before we move on, I really feel that God, one, he's given you authority, but number two, he's given you power. He's given you the power that goes with the authority. What power has he given you? Well, he's given you the sort of power that is Holy Spirit power. So in the living word, he's given you Jesus, but then he's come along with the other person of God, which is the Holy Spirit, and he says, here we are, here's some power to be able to use the authority that I've given you. And Peter understood authority, and he also understood... Now, I wonder whether this is you, this morning, that you're feeling a bit powerless. In fact, you might feel... You have no power to sort out your situation. You might be feeling quite hopeless in a situation. One of those things pausing on purpose so that we can reflect. Don't rush on. Sometimes our holy God doesn't want us to rush on. He wants us to linger somewhere. And Peter, he lingered in Joppa for a while afterwards so that he could minister to the saints. When he was in Lydia, he found, he went and found the person who'd been paralysed for eight years. They came and got him for the very special person, Dorcas, or Tabitha, by her other name. But actually, he went and found the person, the paralytic, for eight years. Went and found that person. That person wasn't famous, but that person needed healing. Jesus doesn't go for the wealthy and the well-named. He tends to go and minister to the poor. Born in a stable, minister to the poor. We're talking about Peter here, not Paul. Paul was the educated one. Peter was the fisherman. No matter what your background, no matter what your background, Jesus can pick you up and use you in the most amazing, mighty ways. And he does. Um, I've got a a testimony, a a guy called Smith Wigglesworth. So uh, he spanned the last century, died in 1947, who saw the dead raised in England. Couldn't read until he was an adult. Started off as a plumber, digging holes, etc. God picked him up and used him. So no matter where you are this morning, are we a Peter, a fisherman? Are we Peter, an office worker? Uh, Who are we? Are we Peter? Because you don't have to be dynamic to be used by God. In fact, quite often it's a hindrance. That's why I'm up here. All right? 
You don't have to be dynamic to be used of God. You don't have to be super intelligent. In fact, sometimes that's a hindrance. What do we need? We actually need to know who Jesus is, who he says we are, and we also need to know what he's given us. All right, so those are some of the things that we need because actually uh, the rest, all our human strengths, they might be ones God's given us because he designed us this way, but sometimes they can be a hindrance. So um, here's Peter's history, Matthew 10, verse 1 to 8, but actually I'm only really going to look at verse 1 and 8. It's where Jesus called the disciples and decided he was going to send them out. This was not his death. This was uh, before the Holy Spirit was poured out. And uh, what did he say? Jesus called the 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And he gave them a commandment in verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. So even before Christ's death, there's a whole theological piece there, raising people from the dead, (laughs) cleansing lepers, broken up the broken hearted. Why? Because Christ was there. Christ was there. And he gave them authority and he gave them the commandment. So here's the other thing that uh, the wonderful Peter did. He actually did as he was told. He was obedient. So you can have all the authority and you can have all of the power. Oh, that's all of you then. Because you have. The next thing is, are you going to use it? Are you going to use it? Uh, But it's one of the things Peter did. He went around using that power. Now, I wonder whether any of you are thinking, well, uh, that was for a previous time. But God has made so many promises about healing. So many promises. You go through, I'm not going to read them all. We'd be here till. Well, you'd missed your dinner. There are so many scriptures that actually talk about God is our healer. He heals the nations. He heals individuals. He heals families. He heals. His promise to you this morning is that he will bring healing. He brought healing at the cross. He brings healing to you today. He brings freedom to you today. Just amazing, amazing, amazing how God continues to promise that his people will be healed, that you will not be afflicted by disease. You will not, you will not. The promises of God for us are just overflowing with healing and wholeness. They truly, truly are. Just before the meeting, someone said to me, I could just see this, this... um, huge dam and it's full of water behind it and uh, I thought well that's interesting that's interesting Anne and I a few years ago we went to the Hoover Dam and uh, we went and saw the Hoover Dam and most of you all know it's been on movies and all sorts of things but the thing that struck me was the amount of engineering that it takes to build a Hoover Dam so many things come from different places they do sluice gates they do design etc it takes a few years to build etc and at some stage someone has to turn a tap on somewhere can you imagine turning the tap in the Hoover Dam you know you've got a couple of miles of water behind you millions and millions of times and someone has to turn the tap on because until the tap turns on the rotors don't turn it 
doesn't generate any electricity. Someone has to turn the tap on. And of course, someone somewhere will have turned the tap on slowly because something bad might happen. Okay, and as they turn the tap on, that's the first generator. Then they might turn the tap on the second generator. And there's about five or six of these huge generators that would fit in this whole auditorium generating electricity. For all of Nevada, really, it's just a massive place. And the thing here is about obedience is uh, turn the tap on just a little bit. We'll just turn the tap on a little bit and we'll generate a little bit of electricity. Because faith without deeds is... I didn't want to talk about death, but well done. Yeah, so faith without deeds is dead. You know, what do we need to go along with all these things is actually exactly what Peter did. We need to actually have that faith that stirs and is able to release the Holy Spirit's power. Because turning the tap on is an act of faith. And when you turn the tap, mixes with the Holy Spirit's power, and we have a miraculous combination to fulfill the promises of God. That's what Peter did. His faith had grown from sinking in the water after a couple of steps. Do you remember that? Sinking in the water. Command me to come out, and I'll know. Why? Because he knew the authority of Christ, that he knew the miraculous power. So he knew that if God said, but then his doubts came in, and he started sinking in the water. But at least he got out of the boat, didn't he? He got out of the boat. So I have a, a, a piece of uh, testimony from uh, Wigglesworth's days, and... Um, Actually, I have a couple, and I was wondering, which one shall I read, Lord? And um, th- th- there was one that actually follows this sort of, sort of account of Dorcas, and uh, in the same sort of way. So uh, Wigglesworth was this uh, evangelist uh, that travelled the nation, and uh, he saw some quite miraculous signs and wonders. Same sort of thing that people are seeing around the world today. De- decade, people raised from the dead and healed and so forth. Some of our challenges, unlike Wigglesworth, is we have such a great National Health Service. Isn't it wonderful? Aren't we grateful for it? God has given wisdom to doctors and given such resources. Uh, it's just, just fantastic. Uh, we have a, a fantastic, incredible country where when you're not working, um, you're, you're not left destitute and starving. The, the, the system looks after you, looks after the poor to a degree. And, and as a people of God, we're called to do exactly that as well. So it was great to hear that this morning, getting involved in looking after babies. Who doesn't love babies? So, uh, and one of our ch- challenges really is the health service. Because actually the first port of call is going to the doctor, isn't it? It doesn't have to be God. If you go to the third world, and I know Graham's been and a few others have been, and you actually see the lifestyle and there is no national health service, if you haven't got any funds, etc., then your child dies of something that's quite prevent. In those situations, when you go and actually... 
believers pray for the sick with a little bit of faith, those children quite often are healed. And it's just amazing to see. Because it becomes their first port of call. When that becomes known, what do you do when you have someone sick? You take them to see who? The Christian who prays for the sick and sees people healed. So Wiggleworth comes from an era where an awful lot of that was prevalent, where people were sick and dying, etc., and they didn't have all of the cures we have today. I think it's incredible and wonderful that we might have a cure for cancer. And God's providing that wisdom and that knowledge, etc. I don't want to back off from there, but that can slow us down maybe from praying for people who are unwell. Wigglesworth said, I was called at 10 o'clock one night to pray for a young woman given, by, given up by the doctors who was dying of consumption. That means her lungs were going. As I looked, I saw that unless God undertook it, it was impossible for her to live. I turned to the mother and to the people in the house and uh, she said, no, no, I haven't had my clothes off for three weeks. My daughter's dying. I can't go to bed. Uh, okay, so he turns to the daughters and says, it's time for you to go to bed now. And they said, no, 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 we're not going to leave. And he said, the brothers said the same. And he said, well, okay. And he goes and gets his coat on to go. What's going on? And they said, well, what do we need to do to make you stay? Because these people had tried everything. Here you are in England in the, in the 40s between the two world wars and someone's dying uh, of consumption, which was the, the lungs. And they said, look, if we go to bed, will you stay? And he said, yeah, I'll stay. So they went off, all went off to bed, and uh, he thought, right, okay. Okay. His challenge was he knew he would have trouble doing anything in an atmosphere of mere natural sympathy and such a degree of unbelief. Unbelief is different than faith. So many people get it confused. They all went to bed and I stayed. There was surely a time as I knelt by the bed face to face with death and the devil. But God can change the hardest situation and make you know that he is almighty. Then the fight came. It seemed as though the heavens were brass and I prayed from 11 o'clock in the evening to 3.30 in the morning. That puts my prayer life to shame. I saw the glimmer of light on the face of the sufferer and saw her pass away. Then the devil said, now you are done. You have come from Bradford and the girl has died on your hands. I think at that stage I might have got up and gone and run away. But he didn't. It can't be. God did not send me here for nothing. This is a time for a change of strength. I remembered that passage which said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Death had taken place, but I knew that my God was all-powerful. He had, had, he had split the Red Sea and is just the same today. It was a time when I would have... I would have not had a no. I would not allow no to be the case. And God said, yes. And I looked in the window, and at the moment I saw the face of Christ appear. It seemed as though a million rays of light were coming from his face as he looked 
at the one who had just passed away. The colour came back to her face. She rolled over and fell asleep. Then I had a glorious time in the morning. She he had a glorious time worshipping God from then on. He'd seen his breakthrough. He had seen the amazing power of God. Then I had a glorious time. And in the morning, she awoke early, put on a dressing gown, walked to the piano and started to play and sing wonderful songs. The mother and sister and brothers all came down and the Lord had undertaken a miracle. And his challenge for us, Wigglesworth and Peter's and Christ's, <laughs> And all of the saints in heaven who are a cloud of witnesses, I think is, we believe who we are. We believe who Christ is. We're the best taught Christians in the world today with our devices, with everything at our fingertips. All right? We know who we are. We know who he is in a way that so few have been able to grasp in a nation where you can say almost anything on a street and not get arrested. And here we are. And I believe that actually God wants us to take steps of faith today. My prompting was, uh, when you hear God speaking to you, don't dismiss it. Sometimes he says some crazy stuff. I really mean that, you know. Mix and paste together and put it on their eyes. Jesus did. You know. Uh, there, there are times when, uh, you know, about fear and other things, etc. And I felt that there should be a pr time of prayer right at the end. So uh, without summarizing it up, because I know time's going, um, I felt that God was going to put life in a few people's hands this morning. Actual life. Life-giving power. That's what God has. And for you, he's given you life. Life eternal is yours. Forever and ever, right? But sometimes there's bits of us that are not as light as they might be. And I felt he was going to put life in some people's hands this morning. For praying for others, and for some people, they needed almost to pray for themselves and give themselves permission to be alive in certain areas. Some of it's for healing. Some of it's for restoration. Some of it's for feeling free. Right? So those are the things that I believe, at the end of this, that God wants action. Because right? faith without deeds, and sometimes that deed is you getting up and doing stuff. Faith is always you <laughs> getting up and doing stuff. Because without that, there is no faith. Without that, there isn't the miracle. And without that, we don't see the gospel spreading. All right. So this is an opportunity for you. So uh, I felt that there will be a couple of groups. So my first, <laughs> the first group, the least risky group, Anybody wanting a bit of least risky? Grading of risk. It's just grading of faith, really. It's okay. 
So here's, here's the first part. This is the easy one. I want more of God. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I need more faith. That's, what the, this, that, that's what's here, all right, by this speaker. It's, it doesn't even go wild. It's crazy, isn't it? So that's the first one. The next one is a little more risky. And depending on who you are, any of these could be really risky. This one is where there's healing and where there's freedom. So if you're thinking you need healing this morning or setting free from something, this is where you are. It's in the middle. And this one is life-giving. There's one or two people I know will be here because that's what God's prompting you for, that you need some life-giving. What I saw before was, was, was definitely one or two people really needed some life-giving. That the life-giving power of God needs to fill you afresh. Not because you've lost your salvation, but because part of your walk, part of your thinking, part of your life seems like it's dead. It could be bereavement, it could be other things. But those are the three areas. So what are they? Over here, the easy ones. <laughs> More of God, faith, infilling of the Holy Spirit. Here, we have healing and we have freedom. And here, on this side, life-giving. Now, I don't expect all of you to come. <laughs> okay, so I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, only because I feel it's prompting of God. So that's where we are. Um, and I, I've already prompted the brand, but it'll probably be good to have, have uh, a song whilst we are moving. But I'm actually almost frightened to do that because I, I don't want to exclude anybody. All right, so that's where I am. Are you happy with that? Okay. So um, it's, it was part of what I was saying to Graham right at the beginning. Um, so... Um, what I want you to do, right, right now, is close your eyes. Just close your eyes. One, so that you can be at peace with yourselves, all right? Because in one regard, it's less important you do what you want and more important that you do what God wants. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd settle in every one of us. what you would prompt us to go forward for. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.